I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel, and I'm very excited for today's show because we're going to be talking about business acumen, really closing the gap between what you don't know. And of course, you don't know what you don't know. So we're going to talk about a lot of concepts that are commonplace in business. It's just a different nomenclature. It's the language of business, uh, things that will come up during phone screens, uh, just during your research to figure out which job is right for you, certainly during interviews. Uh, And we find that very often employers use this kind of business acumen to gauge how much to pay you and what job title to give you. So if you're going to start at entry level or more of a senior or principal level position. Uh, The title of today's show is Protect Your PhD Career by Adding These 10 Business Acumen Skills to your resume. We're going to be talking to a PhD MBA, Ramya Raman, uh, but we're going to jump in and we're going to start by talking to uh, a couple of people who have uh, learned the skills we're going to talk about today to better their career development. So we're going to jump in with a brief interview with Joe and Ruth to start before bringing Ramya on. I would just love for you both to introduce yourselves and where you are currently in your career transition. And I'll start with you, Joe. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, Joe here. I'm sure some of you have seen me on the board. I am originally, I'm a, I'm a PhD in physical organic chemistry. I am in the patents area. So I very much love uh, intellectual property and regulatory type of services affairs. Um, currently right now, I actually got caught by the COVID. So um, I'm doing the second transition, which is not bad, but I'm already deep into negotiations to eventually get that second transition going. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm on mute. There we go. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. We really appreciate you coming on and we'll talk a little bit about your experiences here next in my two-part question. Uh, same question to you though, Ruth, if you could Introduce yourself, please. So hi, everybody. My name is Ruth. I have a little bit of a different background. I went, I was put through my PhD program by an academic research institution. They paid for it. So that was great. Um, I spent 15 years there working in medical devices, and my PhD is actually in epidemiology. While I was in an academic research program, I spent a lot of time working with our industry partners. So when I have to, I have to parrot what Isaiah said multiple times, you need to learn the the business language. They don't care about what you're doing, that you're doing your science for science. They want a science for product. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge aspect that I had to learn in my position that I am. So I actually transitioned in the middle of COVID. Wow. So starting in March, I moved from my academic institution and I am now a contractor and a project manager for NASA. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's amazing. Great to hear. So it's been an interesting experience and I can talk about yes. what y'all want to talk about. No, I appreciate that. So thank you both for introducing yourselves. And, and, and we're seeing these wildly different experiences with COVID and uh, disruptions, but opportunities. And I do appreciate you both being here because a lot of the attendees, you know, are, they are where you are. You both, mm-hmm. I'm sure, have been attendees of, of some of our webinars in the past before you joined uh, the program. So I want to talk about the business side especially, right? Like, like you both alluded to or talked directly about already, a lot of the attendees here, they think, yeah, my technical skills are going to get me into business. They're going to get me respected. They're going to, that's all I need to be seen uh, as a serious professional, business professional manager to get paid a management salary, all this stuff, which of course is not true because there's, you know, we, we don't learn, unfortunately, for the most part, much later as PhDs that the business skills, the understanding of industry to speaking that language of business, mm-hmm. understanding how to, I guess, translate technical data to business data in a sense is crucial. So you both joined Scientist MBA. Can you talk a little bit about the gaps, you know, looking back that you had in your knowledge in terms of business acumen and then how Scientist MBA has helped you close those gaps? And I'll start well, with you. Uh, so for me, um, well, I don't know, Ruth, 
Did you want to go? No, you start. Go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> okay. So, um, well, for me, I was um, I was in that category of my professor didn't see the purpose of me doing anything outside of being in the research lab. So I have never been one to kind of do as I'm told. So I actually went and did my own studying, and because I knew I didn't want to do research, it just for me it just didn't vibe, and so. I did volunteering outside and in this office, um, in the tech transfer office that I did that volunteering and learned it, I actually, I had an idea of what marketing was. It's like, yeah, I kind of get it, the advertising, that sort of thing, but not to the extent that I actually learned in Scientist MBA. So I, you know, I knew of mergers and acquisitions. I knew of, you know, case study i knew of it it's like yes it's there it's business business people just don't get science mm. but it was actually the patent agent that i was working for that said here's your wonderful idea now sell it to me and i'm all well it's awesome i don't need he's like oh <laughs> he's like you just got lost your job and i'm all you know it's so he set it up as a true business deal and i i was able to finally kind of accept that it's not that business is wrong. It's just, I'm not understanding how to really talk to someone that really doesn't understand the science. Yes. And so in that, in, and Scientist MBA helps you with that, helps you understand what it is that you're trying to get across that you know in the back of your head because you've done the PhD in it. But now you're trying to convince somebody, this is why, you know, in a patent sense for me, it was the, look, this medical device needs to get patented for this reason, um, A, B, C, and D. And some of the business people will be like, that's great. I still don't see why. Yeah. And looking at that bottom line is like, hey, the FDA says you're going to have to do this. Let's go through this panel and see what we, you know, just really speaking to them in the same way that you speak to anybody in the sciences. Now you're going to speak to them. Well, if we look at the sales, at the profits, at the market trends, even though the Kager is saying that it's, this is the trend going upwards, it's probably going to do something weird like this. And once you get used to speaking it, once you get used to saying, okay, business isn't bad. It's just an, a weird language. You know, the once you get used to that, it actually is, fun to talk to people with business about because then they look at you differently. They're like, Oh, you really do understand the business side of me. You really do speak my language. And it's mm -hmm. the, yes, I speak your language, but I also speak this language too, which is really where I want to get you to sell stuff, you know, and it's, yeah. um, it's, it's eye opening. It's, it's scary for some people because it's scientists were trained to look at, at business people as they just, they just care about money and, that's not true. They care, but we have to kind of guide them a little bit to care about specifically certain things that we may want to get out there. So. No, I really appreciate that. Well, well said, and I love your enthusiasm, Joe. I think you, you really summed up a lot of great points, right? Mm -hmm. we, we see business people as like a different kind of breed and we think, okay, they're, they're separate, but you have to see yourself as a business person and what you can do mm -hmm. for businesses in general. One of our one of our core missions at Cheeky Scientist is to get more PhDs into those executives and mm -hmm. even C-suite roles. Um, how's that going to happen? By you learning business. And I love what you said, you know, about being viewed differently. I think all of us in business who have made, turned that corner, we know the moment that people started seeing us as a, uh, a business uh, threat in a good way, I want to say, right? Yes. Like as, a, as yes. somebody like, oh, you know some, you know, you know some stuff and, uh, and you become a, a very, very strong candidate for for not just your first job, but promotions, et cetera, because they're now you're layered, right? You have that technical knowledge, which they can't touch. And in their mind, maybe they put you in a box, like you belong in a lab, whatever, but now you have the business knowledge too. And mm -hmm. now they start seeing you as the person who's going to be ahead of them for the promotions and the person to go to if they really have a problem, because mm -hmm. you can address it from multiple different angles. And, and Joe, that's just great, great advice. So thank you so much for sharing. Ruth, can you give us, uh, you know, the, the rocket scientist take? on it <laughs> but no same question to you so what were the looking back what were those business acumen gaps that you had or, or gaps in, in business knowledge understanding of industry and then how has scientist mba helped you fill those gaps so i will actually credit scientist mba with the skill to, with me learning the skills i needed to get through my interview at nasa Wow. They, I touched on several things. I, I specifically remember one of the, one of the comments that um, Asia made in one of the 
training videos? And I, I thought that was a great question to ask in an interview. And I've asked that at every single interview that I, that I've asked. So that I've been on and they were like, no one's ever asked us that before. And I really appreciate you asking me this. And it was basically ending the interview with, is there anything that I have not addressed in my resume or in our conversation that you are still concerned about? And it shocked me that nobody had ever addressed, had ever asked them that before. But I digress, and let me back up a little bit. So, science, I, because I started in medical devices and worked more as an industry uh, as an industry contractor in an academic position, which was great for the industry partner, great for my boss, bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I learned a long time ago and I, it took me a long time to wrap my head around as a scientist that we don't, that in industry, it is science for the greater good, but it's also science for product. Yes. It's not, it's not, we, this theory on this gene and this gene, it's what can we sell from this? How can we adapt it to sell it? I told one of my colleagues that went into industry, I told her, don't get attached to your project because if the market isn't there for your project, it'll go away instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And she didn't understand that. And we talked about it for a little while and she came back to me about three months later and she's like, yeah, that happened. (laughs) But once I wrap my head around that there's science for product and science for moving things forward and getting it through the FDA and it will go to make a difference in the clinic Mm -hmm. and in our patients' lives, Mm -hmm. but it is science for product. It, I learned and I was able to adopt that business sense much Mm -hmm. more. Scientist MBA put a lot of the pieces together and helped me learn a lot of the language. And that language is definitely something that is needed to, when you're looking at trying to transition into industry. People will think of you, and it's funny because this morning we were having a conversation about this in one of my meetings about reporting and metrics, and I've seen a lot of metrics go by that are like, oh, I attended this meeting, I turned this crank, I did this. No one cares. It's what did you output? What was your product? What did, what accomplishments did you make? So that's, that, I learned that from Scientist MBA, and I learned a lot of the language, and I really appreciate it. If I can piggyback on her really quick. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's exactly what you said. And also the thing that Scientist MBA taught me, scientists have a, have a unique code of ethics, I've noticed. It's like we, we feel that if we are selling something that we're kind of like muddying the actual science. And Scientist MBA taught me to kind of, it's, you're not muddying the science. You're helping get that science to where it needs to go, but you do have to sell it. You know, unfortunately, it's like you can't control. It's like, well, nobody's going to look at it because everybody has to understand how to do this. As long as, you know, you understand that acumen, however it's going to go, whatever process it takes, the truth for it will go. And so for me, like regulatory affairs and, you know, keeping things on, you know, making sure everything works correctly, it comes back around to that acumen. So like even after I got my, my first transition, you know, I even now, you know, even though I'm in my second one right now, I still went back and redid the modules for scientist MBA because there could have been something I'm missing. You know, I understand the market more now. So maybe I just need to kind of look at it now in a different way. And it's, Mm. it's not just you do it once and yeah, I got a certificate. That's great. But now looking at it again, I'm all like, Oh dear Lord, that's what they were trying to teach me the first time around. Why didn't I pick that up? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. And I I really appreciate you bringing that up. And that's one of the reasons that we offer scientist MBA for life because Mm -hmm. you'll have these things that happen. And I think a lot of people say, you know, here's a few courses or pay every month or every year or else we're taking everything away. We don't want to do that. Our goal really is to get all of you into those executive positions. And you do that through, going back to the the material that is constantly added to and by having real world experiences to get your first job, second, third, fourth, and beyond. So thank you both. Congratulations on your career success. Joe, Ruth, thank you very much. Great to see you. Thank you. Please thank Joe and Ruth. Incredible panel. Lots of great insights. And uh, 
really hope really highlights the importance of understanding industry and you know a lot of the blockers that we have the limiting beliefs that we have as phds in learning this we you know uh yes you'll have to make that step to not just doing basic research but to translating your research into a product or treatment that helps people really helping people's on the end of it and if there's not a need for it in the market it doesn't matter how right the product is you can do everything right make something that's correct that follows the data etc but if there's not a need for it people don't want to use it they're not willing to pay for it doesn't matter and that's the beauty of business it actually makes things easier in a sense once you're able to uh, understand that other side of the coin. And that's what Scientist MBA does. So really, just really great panel. I'm going to bring on our program leader, Ramya. She is a PhD MBA, senior program leader for Scientist MBA. Ramya, good to see you. Great to have you on here. Let me unmute you. Let's try that again. Maybe you have to unmute yourself. There we go. All right, I still can't hear you. Hello, can you hear now me now? I can, I can, we're good. So please say hi to Ramya if you were able to see and hear her. Ramya, great stories. What did you think of uh, Joe and Ruth? Just such, you so know, much yeah, those are great stories. And I really appreciate the fact that they are talking about their second transition. Mm. Um, and I think that's really where Scientist MBA can even help you even more because it's not just about your first transition, it's about your entire career and moving forward. Um, and I think especially now with COVID, we all have to think about different ways of working, different ways to stay relevant. Yeah, well said. And so we have a lot of concepts we're gonna go through here as much as we can you know, within uh, the, the, the time remaining. Um, I, I do wanna talk about something our panelists brought up. There's a lot of job losses right now. You know, Joe said she was affected by this. The UN estimated a worldwide 400 million job losses in Q2, right? So the, the second set of three months uh, in, in 2020. So uh, that's, a, that's a huge number. There are impacts. We show you this not to scare you, but to let you know that you have to take this seriously. This is what's going to differentiate you. You have to create your unique selling proposition, uh, which our panelists touched on, like what separates you from the other job candidates. And we're going to get to that by the end. You also have to know once and for all, there's no fallback for you in academia. How many of you have seen things get worse in academia over the last few months, type in me. You've seen furloughs, layoffs, some universities not opening up, certainly hiring freezes and spending freezes. Academia is the most uncertain career path for you right now. It's the riskiest career path. Everything's been flipped on its head. But if you're a PhD who has technical skills and you can show a basic understanding of industry, you could show a scientist MBA certification, et cetera, you're in demand in industry you just are likely invisible and you're invisible not just because you don't have the right things on your resume etc but because once they finally talk to you you're talking like an academic you're not speaking the language of industry so Ramya why do we learn and practice these MBA level concepts I think a lot of people here would be surprised to know that if you get into an entry-level job working side by side with somebody with their bachelor's or master's you're gonna be there an average of five to eight years how many of you do not want to wait five to eight years to get into a management level role, as in a senior scientist, principal scientist role, just as an example, or engineer role, etc. cetera. Um, type in no if you do not want to wait five to eight years. It should be all of you. This mm -hmm. is especially in biotech, yeah. pharma tech, and the, a lot of the positions you're getting into. And the salaries, right? This is average salaries worldwide. Some countries bring the average up or down, of course. Here's the key though. If you start an entry level, your trajectory seven years later, it's, it's very low compared to management level. Uh, think about your overall career trajectory. You've been in academia long enough. You cannot afford to get into an entry level role being paid a bachelor or master's salary. Scientist MBA is to help you get that first job at the highest level possible. And so, Ramya, with that, let's review this. Uh, this is from Dow Chemical. This is a, a study that they did for uh, PhD programs specifically, asking uh, employers, global 500 employers, what are the gaps, right? We were talking about gaps with our panelists. Uh, what are the gaps that PhD programs have in terms of training that they see once they hire somebody? Those gaps get exposed after they hire them. Number one was understanding of industry, th uh, two, business and finance training, three, project management. Do those yeah, three surprise I, yeah. you? Yeah, those are not surprising. Um, to be honest, I have never heard of anyone during my PhD talk about understanding industry or understanding what you need to know about yes. industry when you go in. 
Um, however, on my first day of my MBA, uh, that was the first topic they talked about, preparing you for industry. Um, and you can see the vast difference between these two areas of what you cover when you're looking at an MBA-related topic or curriculum versus a PhD topic or curriculum and just what they're looking at and what they're covering. Yeah, so this is, this is showing you the, yeah. the data here. These are showing you what your gaps are, naming your gaps that you probably knew were there. This might sound general. Understanding industry includes things just like corporate strategy, culture, like what happens in a merger and acquisition, which also bleeds over into business and finance training. <laughs> do, you, do you understand how uh, finance works, what, what cost of goods sold are, these different things that can come up cash flow in an interview? But also, you know, how a company might restructure itself to reduce expenses or to increase profits. Project management is not like it is in academia. You could argue there's not even project management in academia, right? It's like you are collecting your data or doing your research by yourself. That's it. So you don't have to manage a project with the team because you all are navigating it autonomously. So we're going to touch on all of these things. And um, we're going to start with the importance of positioning yourself for success in this economy. So what are some of the things that you're seeing happen, happen in terms of employers wanting to reduce risk, especially when hiring Ramya since the pandemic? I think one thing is the number of jobs being posted and just how many positions are being filled. Um, there are less positions being filled and a lot of times companies are trying to reorganize positions and restructure an organization to make it leaner, more effective, um, and seeing if employees can do multiple roles and what can they be doing, especially if they're non-essential working from their home. Yeah, well said. And, and I want you to, the takeaway I want you all to have from that is they're looking to hire somebody who's not risky. So if you are a complete, you know, zero in terms of knowledge of business, you're a risk. They also want to hire people that can do multiple roles. They want to get three candidates with one, especially if they're going to hire a PhD and pay a PhD salary. That's exactly what they want. Um, so the most important thing you can do is show you have strong business acumen and then learn skills like project management, highlight those skills because you do have the ability to manage a lot of things at once. The fact that you can do a large volume of work, you can learn quickly, information processing um, uh, would go into that. Technical literacy. They're also going to get a writer with you or an editor, reviewer, if they happen to need that for no matter what the role is. And that's a big part of understanding industry and, and what they're looking for. So, Rami, I want to go through this. Uh, this is kind of, this is a, a really great study for the Times. You know, this is looking at CFO perspectives. So, the chief financial officer. Uh, one of the things you'll learn in Scientist MBA is how the, the C-suite, the executive branches are structured at a company. Usually, the chief executive officer, the CEO and the chief financial officer, the CFO, they're attached at the hip. Um, and, and that's for good reason, because the CFO will tell the CEO what they can do, essentially. CEO wants to make decisions, but they got to consider the finances, which means this trickles all the way down to you. You have to understand the financial aspect. Um, so this is the percentage of CFOs anticipating in a particular uh, response to the pandemic right? Or a particular action or they've noticed something. So there's the risk side and the change side. One of the two, two concepts you'll learn about in Scientist MBA are risk management and change management. Very, very important. Most of you don't know about this. It's also two good skills to mention on your resume. So we have here that CFOs, 52% uh, say they're expecting decreased profit or that's a risk they're trying to avoid. Uh, a down global economy, increased uh, COVID cases, and then change, they're change to, in response to this, they're changing their products and services. Um, only 30% though say, say they know what changes to make and 52% say they need means for remote work. Does any of this surprise you, in you with what you're seeing at, at your level, Ramya? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. I think these are all things that we should, we'll be aware of. And every time you see a wave or a surge of new COVID cases. These are also things to be aware of, of things that are happening in the area. Um, so I know in between, in my area, when phase two started here, there were more jobs being posted, more openings, but as cases go up, less jobs being posted. Um, what the jobs are, how you do them remotely has also been increasing. So being aware of the change, 
being aware of the changes on onboarding for all, all of you if you're starting a new role. What does that mean? Asking those questions is also critical. Perfect. Yeah, and, and I think that's uh, really important to understand is that what are the executives, the managers, the, the hiring managers, the recruiters looking for from you right now? Um, how can you speak their language better? Uh, maybe talking about your ability to learn virtually. Maybe talking about virtual project management. Maybe talking about your ability to also mentor virtually. Uh, companies are changing their products and services. They're changing their product pipelines. They're looking at their supply chains. This is business, the understanding industry. What are some of the supply chains things, just as a real world example, Ramya, that you're seeing at your company or, or things that are being made, more hiring of QC, QA, uh, more restructurings internally, anything like that that you could uh, share with us? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of things relating to how long it takes for shipping, the shipping process, the return process. Um, for us, when we work with our patients, having this portal and having this online ordering system in place for our physicians versus them having to connect directly and fax something in physically so they can do this with their virtual meetings and have a virtual prescription being sent in versus something physical. So there's all these changes in the supply process in just the process of ordering itself um, that we don't even think about on the science side. Excellent. Uh, I like this graphic because it just talks about where companies are going. So a big part of Scientist MBA is staying ahead of trends, being the first to identify these business trends, talking about them in the group, which is very robust, over a thousand members right now, um, so that you can uh, understand how to position yourself strongly for your first position or for your next position, right? So, so here we have the, the past market in terms of the economy. You could think of it as a whole. Uh, a particular company's strengths in that market and the products they used to produce, treatments, drugs, et cetera, um, that were successful. Now, the present market, very different. Uh, it's going to be disruptive. Anything new is disruptive. Uh, it's a lot more remote work, new types of supply chains, limitations with, uh, you know, uh, flying uh, between different countries and just shipping and all kinds, of, all kinds of things have come up due to the pandemic. So what does a company do to respond to this? What's the bridge? And hopefully this uh, graphic will make sense on this final point. It's new products. Companies need to innovate. They have to come up with new products. They have to come up with new services, treatment solutions. This means they have to hire people to support those products. So in Scientist MBA, we're spending a lot of time right now talking about which companies are coming up with new products, uh, what, kind of, where, what markets are they new moving into, because this indicates where the jobs are going to be, especially at the management level. Um, Rama, any comments on this in terms of what you're seeing uh, and how? Yeah, and I, and I think it's also about understanding who's doing what. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of mindset that if you're in a tech company, you're safe. That's not necessarily true. It's you're looking at overall, what are they supporting? What is the business that they do? How is it Im impacted overall by the global economy, by the people that they work with on the supply side, by their customers? So when you're looking at this, Think about the entire process of that business and who they work with in their process. Yeah, and, and that's something that we will help you do. So creating a business acumen development plan, okay? Really training you. You'll train through Scientist MBA. It's one of our most extensive programs, eight different core courses, many other courses. Uh, we continue to add to it. Uh, you will learn how to create a management level resume. This is something that we only teach in Scientist MBA. You learn how to create a management level LinkedIn profile, how to do multiple types of networking uh, broken down by uh, verticals in terms of uh, virtual, by video, by audio only, online meetups, etc. cetera, uh, generating referrals through the straight line referral methodology process and uh, by really understanding these core concepts that we're going to go through fairly quickly. Um, and embedding these core concepts into every aspect of your job search from the resume stage, LinkedIn stage, through your networking to interviews and beyond. Because you heard from our panelists, you will be asked questions related to this, these business acumen concepts. These are some of the pillars that will help you showcase that you understand industry and you can speak the language of industry. The first pillar is corporate strategy. To understand corporate strategy, you have to understand Porter's five forces. This is very uh, the didactic material that almost any top MBA program goes into. What are these five forces, Rami? Can you just walk us through this slide? 
Yeah, so number one that you can see on top is threat of new entrants. So are there new, um, new products being en entering your market? Um, something that could be a threat directly to what you do. Um, bargaining power of buyers. So it's what are your buyers? What options do they have? How can they bargain in terms of the different products available for them? Threat of substitute products or services. Um, so this is something that you could substitute in or your service or your product. Um, you know, for example, a lot of people think of taxis versus Ubers. Um, that's considered a substitute product versus another taxi company. Um, bargaining power of suppliers. So who are your suppliers? What are their bargaining powers? Do they have multiple people that they work with or just you? Um, and finally, in between is the rivalry among existing competitors. So these are really your general competitors that everyone thinks about when you're competing. Um, this is really interesting right now because what generally would be the case for a company, some of these competitors and forces may be shifting because of COVID. Um, for example, a bargaining power of suppliers, if you have, if you're a U.S. company and you have a supplier in China who's not able to send you products, your local American suppliers may have a higher bargaining power. Um, bargaining yes. power of buyers, if you know, you're not, if you're looking at supplier buyers who may not be buying as much or doing as much consumer goods um, every day, you're going to have more bargaining power from them. If they're going to go get a haircut, have more options, they might be looking for a cheaper price than before. Um, so really thinking about how are all these forces are playing a role in the company you're interviewing with is important. Yeah, and it's, go it's going to come up. And when, so when they ask you, you know, what kind of threats do you think that we're dealing with right now? They're asking you, you know, what are these forces? Um, if they say, you know, where do you think we're headed in the future? Uh, they're going to be asking about these forces. If they say, where do you want to be in one to five years? They're hoping that something, that your answer is going to be aligned with their corporate strategy that's responding to these forces. Do you know who our biggest competitors are? Do you know who our biggest suppliers are? Most of you would have no idea how to frame things uh, like this. Uh, using this classical framework just because you haven't learned it. And we walk you through this using examples for PhDs specifically in the types of industries you'll get into. Corporate culture, right? So if corporate strategy is the what. It's what a company wants to achieve in response to those five forces. Corporate culture is the how. And I think a lot of people, myself, especially when, when I was leaving academia, we didn't know how expansive culture was. I guess I thought it was, you know, kind of like how people dressed at work. If they dressed up really fancy or they didn't. Um, but it's really the processes. It's the, the brand, the, the colors, the, the words that they say, the control systems, you know, the fact that if they say, hey, you can show up to work whenever you want, but people actually show up every day at 8 a.m. or you get a bad look from your boss, that's like an unspoken cultural uh, guideline. So what are some of the things that surprised you with culture when you started in your, your career as an M, uh, MBA in industry? Yeah, I think the most amazing thing and surprising thing is how much they interview and they select a candidate based on cultural things. So yes. really, how do you fit in the culture of that organization? Um, I, don't, it, I feel like it's more important, and I was surprised by how important this was even compared to how much you could do the job. Um, they would pick a candidate who had a better cultural fit, even if they may lack a few skills that they think they could easily teach them. Um, so just being aware of that. Yeah, and you, and you heard from uh, our panelists about the great questions that you'll get, management level questions in Scientist MBA. One great one is uh, that you can ask an employer to really showcase your uh, understanding of industry is, you know, if, if, a, if a newspaper or big media was to write an article on your company, um, what would they say in it about culture? Just little things like that, um, that to show that you understand the value of culture can help you get hired. Industry hierarchy, you know, I mean, we're showing a basic uh, tall versus flat organization, but you can see here that when you work at some of these larger companies, how the hierarchy, the chain of communication really matters. And you will be asked about this, maybe uh, very likely even shown uh, at a site visit. A, a hierarchy map, um, how companies divide themselves up, their departments. There's also different types of hierarchy. You could be asked, hey, did, you know, we're a matrix hierarchy. Do you know what that means? If you don't, we, we teach this in Scientist MBA, but what can you say in terms of hierarchy coming from academia to industry, that a gap in the knowledge that a lot of PhDs have when they, you know, enter Scientist MBA and you start teaching them on this? 
Yeah, I, you know, when you're in your lab, you may not have much of a hierarchy. It might just be you, a few other grad students, and your PI. Um, if you're in an organization, there are different layers. There are different people who might have different roles in different parts of the organization. So really understanding how the entire group works, where you fit into the organization, and who you should be connecting with is really vital and important to know. Now, this is uh, an entire field that people will get PhDs in, organizational behavior. And it talks about how organizations are structured. Companies, just, just like they care about culture and hierarchy, they're going to care about how the overall organization at the organization level, department and individual are structured. You might think, why is this important? I come from a classroom uh, or a department or a lab of like five people, right? You're only concerned with the individual. But if you start working for a company like Pfizer that has multiple other companies around the world, hundreds of thousands of, thousands of employees, you start to think about things in a macro, meso, or micro level. Um, do you know how the departments are structured at the company you're applying to? Do you know what they're talking about when they say, hey, do you, do you think there's anything we could do here to help our technical people communicate more with our non-technical people? I've been, I was asked that role, and I didn't realize at the time it was an organizational behavior role. Why is this important, Ramya? This is really critical, just understanding how individuals interact in a group, in a team, um, in your organization, because... This is how you should be interacting with others when you start the role. This is how you should understand the type of questions to ask during the interview of the different functions. How should I be working with these functions in the organization? And asking those questions during an interview itself will show your business acumen. And it really helps along way. I've definitely personally experienced that when I ask a company, oh, how do I work with these groups, how does that interaction work within the company? It, it was really great to see that feedback from them and the appreciation that I asked that type of question. So be aware of that when you are interviewing about the importance of this. Absolutely. Um, I will also mention that organizational behavior gets dramatically affected when there's a merger, an acquisition, a restructuring, and those management activities, which a large part of Science MBA will train you on, um, are connected to organizational behavior because the organization is going to change. It's, it's going to merge with another company or it's taking over another company. There'll, there'll be redundancy. What I didn't realize is how often mergers and acquisitions happen all the time. We all hear about the big ones, you know, like Facebook acquires WhatsApp or, you know, Danaher acquires Beckman Coulter. Maybe you wouldn't even hear that unless you work in a lab, right? Uh, but those are the billion dollar deals, but small ones are happening all the time. When I worked at a particular company, I got on board and they mentioned they were acquiring a small company that just produced one cell line and they spent like, you know, like 1.1 million on it, which to them was like nothing. But these things were happening all the time and they're affecting the, the internal business. I mean, were you surprised to find out how, how many mergers and acquisitions and even just discussions and business activities and business development uh, activities are, are always going on at these companies, Ramya? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, in my current company, I had a similar experience where they had recently acquired a um, company that created tubes that they were using. Um, so it created those microtubule, microtubes for centrifuging uh, samples. And so it's surprising to see that it's not something you would think about. It's not this large merger, um, but it is something to be aware of um, and understand how that works and how these new people might be brought on how you might have to interact with them, and really overall what this means for you, for the company, and especially if you have customers that you might be talking to, questions that might come up from them. Uh, well said. And we go into this. Uh, this is one of the more fun things, at least for me, to learn about. What you know, The difference between a merger and an acquisition. All of you will be affected by this sometime in your industry career, for sure. Uh, a restructuring is where there's not an outside company, but internally, maybe two departments merge, one department closes, another department opens up. Some companies that are big enough will basically open up a new department or division that operates by itself for a while, like a startup, which can be a, a, a great opportunity for many of you. Uh, the program goes into also takeovers, friendly takeovers, hostile takeovers. If you're working at a public or private company, you'll learn what those differences are, nonprofits, startups things like insolvency, all of this will be taught to you. It's a new language. And it's fun to learn because you're learning with other PhDs, many of them who are in executive and management uh, roles. 
Uh, operations management. Supply chains, we've talked about, they're crucial right now. It's in media everywhere. Every company is concerned about this. You will get asked as somebody with a PhD about QC and QA. You will get asked about quality control, quality assurance, that kind of technical data, improving a supply chain, which is really operations management. And you can excel here if you know how to speak the language of industry because you have the training in protocols. In business, they're called systems, supply chains, right? But in uh, the lab, it might be a protocol or a methodology. So that's how you shift the language. You shift the concept and the understanding. You apply it to a new context. You come out as a star. That's what Scientist MBA will help you do. Ramya, can you just talk a little bit about how PhDs, I think really more than anybody, excel at systems and how important systems are in business? Yeah, I think we all have a great understanding of processes, of understanding problems that can come up, errors, issues that can come up in your protocol, in your methodology, ways to mitigate that, fix it, change your process, process changes, what that incurs, the paperwork behind it, and reasons for it, um, and educating people about it. So if you have to educate your new um, undergraduate students, graduate students, if you're a postdoc in the lab, what does that mean? So think about that in a bigger scale and just understanding that. I think, um, all these concepts we talk about are concepts that PhDs can easily learn and adapt and do, and definitely operation management is one area that they excel at because of our ingrained way of being systematic. Yeah, well said. And hand in hand with this, and you can kind of see how these are all connected and the sequence you learn things have been optimized for you, right? There's operations management, you know, uh, chief operations officer, operations managers will do. Closely connected that to that are project managers, project management in general, which chunks things down a bit smaller. This is very different in industry. You'll have to fill out paperwork, even if you're not a project manager in many cases, a statement of work, project charters. There's an initiation phase, planning, execution. There's checkpoints. And then there's also a closure phase. And we don't do any of this in academia. In fact, you can get degrees and certifications and lots of different types of project management. There's, there's Waterfall, Agile, Scrum, Agile Fall, PM Boke, Six Sigma. The program goes into this. And then there's another layer called change management and risk management that most of you uh, really don't know anything. So quantitative analysis, Rami, I think a lot of people, I mean, first there's quantitative, you know, the analytical chemistry has quantitative analysis. We're not talking about that. I always have to say that for all the, all the chemists and physical scientists out there, just to make sure we know that we're talking about the use of statistics to analyze data at a business. Lots of new roles. Obviously, data scientist has surged over the last 10 years. It's surging now. Um, scientist MBA covers those roles, but also user experience researcher and analyst, all these new roles that specifically hire PhDs to analyze data. Why is this so valuable today with big data? How are you, how, what real world examples have you seen even in the pharmaceutical industry of, of quants or quantitative analysts and, and this field exploding? Yeah, understanding what data means and being able to use that data to drive industry related decision making is what any MBA should be doing. And that's what they do. They take these concepts, they take the data, and what the data is telling them, and they use it for understanding strategic decision-making and use it to explain some of the decision-making that they're doing to industry high-ups. So whenever you have a lot of data, whenever you're collecting data, which you might be doing, not in the, not in the real-life sense of a lab and you have output, you might be collecting data from your customers based on their feedback. You might be collecting data based on how many times they click on a Facebook link to your product and what that's showing you. Um, so there's different ways you're gonna be thinking about collecting data, what that means, and really explaining why you're using this data to make this decision. Um, and I think we all have that concept as scientists, but just being applying it to this new area is yes. really what this quantitative analysis is that we discuss in Scientist MBA. Absolutely. And uh, accounting, you know, we got about two more foundational concepts here that are really important. Uh, everybody here is probably like, I don't want to learn about accounting. I don't need to. I don't want to be an accountant. But you have to understand a lot of these terms. I was asked about cash flow during an interview in industry. I had no idea. What I, I've heard the phrase. I understand that means probably means cash flowing through a business, but I didn't understand the difference between profits, for example, how a company could be very profitable 
but have no cash flow or vice versa. I'm guessing a lot of you don't understand that either. Income statements, balance sheets, top line, bottom line, revenue, profit margin, gross versus net, just things like that, that you will look so stupid immediately talking to somebody if you do not know them. Uh, any kind of real world examples you can share here? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, whenever you look into a new company that you're joining, you're interested in joining and just looking at what's happening, being able to look through their income statement, cash flow balance sheet, understanding why they may have profits, but not a cash flow or vice versa. What does that mean? Where are they putting their money into? Are they heavily vested in R&D? Are they heavily vested in a certain area? This tells you a lot about the company and what they're interested in. So when you go in for the interview, you have that general knowledge about their focus. Yeah, great point. And, and the, the last thing I want to touch on is something that our uh, panelists brought up that really helped them get hired. If you'll, if you'll remember, I believe it was Joe who said this, uh, creating your unique selling proposition. And this is something that, you'll, that we don't do in our other programs, but we really map out in Scientist MBA is looking at these three circles and you'll create a map for this you know, what the company needs for the companies you're applying to, what you do well, and what other candidates do well. Now, let's say it's a, you know, a data scientist management position or a user experience researcher, regulatory affairs, whatever it might be. What are some of the skills that come to your mind for those of you who are watching that you would put into this, this bucket here? I'm guessing, and I've seen it in real time when I've done reviews and we go to different universities, et cetera, uh, you're going to revert to your training and you're going to focus on your technical skills. You're trying to impress somebody. All you've done is spoke the, you've spoken the language of academia for years. And so you bring up all these technical academic based skills. Here's the problem though. All of those skills are what other candidates do well too. All right. So the company might need them, but if other candidates do them well, you end up here in the risky zone where you don't stand out. You don't differentiate. That's why you don't get hired. That's why most of you are here who have not get ho gotten hired. And it's a hard pill to swallow for you to accept. I'm not going to get hired for my technical skills. My technical skills got the box checked, crucially important, but it's not going to make up for my lack of business acumen. What are your thoughts on this, Ramya? Because we, you know, we really try to push people over here by helping them speak the language of industry, especially on their resumes, LinkedIn profiles, and beyond uh, this, to get into this pure success zone. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's definitely a hard topic. We all have problems with when we start out in the interviewing process, when we start out looking at our job applications and what we're doing in our resumes and LinkedIn. What we really need to think about is who we are as a person overall. What do we do well outside of our technical skills? Have we done a lot of presentations? Are we, do we enjoy doing that? Are we good at that? Do you enjoy managing students? Do you enjoy teaching? How can that be transferred over as a unique selling proposition? What are these other skill sets that may not be technical, um, but more interpersonal? Um, are, you, are you good at giving presentations virtually, for example, now? Having these additional skill sets and present that on your resume is very critical. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me personally, as COVID has hit and I'm just looking at my own resume and updating it, one thing I did put on there is uh, virtual presentation skills um, from scientist MBA and from being a program oh, wow. leader. Um, and that's not something I do in my regular job. That's not something in my PhD, but that is still a unique selling proposition that I could put on my resume. So being aware of that, what additional things that you can provide and showcase um, is really critical to stand out. Thank you again for being on the radio show and for providing your insights. This takes us to the end of this show. You can learn about this program and all of our programs at CheekyScientist.com. If you are new to your job search, you don't know which position's right for you, you can go to PhDsGetHired.com. That's plural, PhDsGetHired.com to learn more about our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association that has helped thousands of PhDs around the world get hired. It'll train you on the basics of your job search and help you find the right position for you. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. 
I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power, and your network is your net worth.